The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Hallelujah. Good morning, folks. If you want to take your seats, it's great to see you in the house of God this morning. Lots happening. And uh, last week, if you were here last week, we started off, well, just during this summer period, we've got some other speakers, not necessarily myself. In there. I was expecting a roar of approval there. <laughs> but thankfully that didn't come, praise the Lord. And this morning we have Carlise and we have Charlotte, the Thompson twins as I call them, but only because their surnames are the same. And many people were, that would just go over their heads, so we won't worry about that. Um, but Carlise is going to share with us this morning, first of all. So let's give her a round of applause. And don't forget to keep smiling. Okay. Good morning. Right, I am trusting the sound guy to be faithful today. Avec la mic. So my name is Carlise Thompson. I'm part one of Team Thompson Tag Team, preaching this morning. Um, I was trying to, thank you, trying to work out how to start this, and I decided not to tell any jokes, just in case they're not funny. Because um, if no one laughs, it would just hurt me deeply. Um, but I'm, I'm excited today to share with you um, I always want to share something that I, um, I've been through, going through, something personal to me, so that, you know, I just haven't come with some information. So I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. I am a mother of two. I'm married to the sound guy. Um, I'm, we're celebrating seven years of marriage this month. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm young. I'm very young. Um, but I'm old enough to be here. So <laughs> the title of my message that I'm doing today is called Faith in Doubt. And this is obviously something very personal to my, my own life. Um, I'll start by definition of doubt, which is the feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. Something I found about doubt is that it is a very common thing. Um, I became a Christian over a decade ago, and since then I've probably had a doubt crisis at, at least twice a year since then. Um, like the, they've been little regular ones like, oh, will God even answer my prayers? They're pointing me praying to, um, how do I know all roads lead to, uh, all roads don't lead to Christ? Um, or all roads don't lead to heaven that are not through Jesus. How do I know that? I know I can be a bit dramatic. I have my moments, but there you go, I'm human. If anyone's aware of my history, then you'll know that between the ages of 8 and 15, I had a firm disbelief in God through some old, some old stuff. I had a firm disbelief in him. And then until I actually came to the point of realizing that Jesus is, in fact, Lord. But today is not so much about my own testimony as it is about somebody in the Bible that I found particularly interesting where it comes to faith and doubt and that's my mate Peter. Um, Peter was one of the first disciples that Jesus called to himself. And he walked with Jesus until the cross, paused, 
and then came back. He saw the miracles, the healings. He got to see Moses and Elijah and Jesus transfigure in front of him. Um, He first recognized Jesus as God. He experienced Jesus feeding a multitude with a little bit. He walked on water with him. He witnessed Jesus raise a man from the dead who'd been dead three days, then denied him. Peter was somebody who had no logical reason to have any doubt in Jesus. Everything that Jesus said to him came to pass. He did everything that was miraculous. Peter was witness to that and still denied him. So I'm going to read from Mark 14, verse 27 to 31. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the other said the same. Now go into verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow was one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them, you're the Galilean. He began to call down curses and swore at them. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed for the second time. Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you would disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. I know. It was a sad moment. So my first point is, doubt comes from fear. In his least finest hour, Peter was absolutely terrified. And I probably judged Peter quite harshly in this moment because at first I couldn't understand how you can go through so much with Jesus in the flesh and then have any form of doubt when the thing that he told you was going to happen actually happens. The day before all of this happened, Peter had witnessed Jesus raise a man from the dead, literally. So what was he afraid of? Because my first thought is he's afraid of dying. But what, if you know that you're walking with somebody who, can, who, can, who death means nothing to, what are you afraid of? But you know what? If I was there and I saw the man who I acknowledged as God in the flesh, bound, beaten, and dragged away to be slaughtered, I think I might be a bit doubtful too. If somebody told me that they would always be there and then they'd die... Yeah, I definitely have a faith crisis. So for those who don't know, I am a trainee psychotherapist. And over the last um, year, I've been studying a lot of psychological theories. And I want to share one with you. It's called the actualizing tendency, if anyone knows it. So the actualizing tendency is something that is supposed to be instinctual in everybody. And it's a drive to reach your full potential and become the best version of yourself, right? Everyone is born with it, 
and sometimes it can get interrupted, which leads people to therapy. Now, this is great, okay? When I read it, I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is some really good stuff, you know? Like, you're giving me this information. It was great theory. And, you know, I loved it because it's saying that nobody's born evil. Everybody has the potential to be good if only they tap into it. But here was my thing. Where's Jesus in this? Okay? Because what I have, what I have learned through my relationship with Jesus is, it, is that abundant life, fruitful life comes through him. So when I'm reading this theory, I've gone, but where's Jesus? If you're telling me I can do this by myself, where is Jesus in this? I was so distressed. My faith was literally put to the test as I'm sitting in a room with other trainee counsellors and they're telling me, yay, we can do this by ourselves. And I'm just like, yeah, but I know I can't do this without Jesus. So what are you saying to me? And I actually, I spent a night crying, asking God, why did you bring me into this profession when they're going to tell me I can do this myself and without Jesus? How am I supposed to manage that? What, is, what do I come up with? Like, what am I doing here? I can influence people, yes. But for the kingdom, why did you bring me here? And in the night, God said to me, you're loving people. You are loving people. And that was all I needed to hear from him. Because, you know, it's just like sometimes I want him to shout out the clouds and give, throw a scripture at me. But he just said, you are loving people. And since we had that conversation, I have taken some theory and put it over there. I've taken some theory and said, okay, yes, this is fine. But what is not matching to scripture does not match to my practice, okay? At the point of reading theory, I was scared because my savior had been bound, beaten, and taken to be slaughtered by a book, okay? I had focused myself on what was in front of me rather than who God was. Doubt has space to creep in when you take your eyes off of Jesus. It has space to influence you when you stop focusing like Peter in the storm, when he, was, when he was walking towards Jesus, walking on water, doing something miraculous, which I have been doing, walking by faith, then he went, oh my gosh, a cloud. And suddenly he started sinking. And that's what was happening to me. I started sinking because theory had blocked me. But when I put my focus back on Jesus and went to him and I asked him, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? He was faithful to give me an answer. So I know, while my face was buried in a textbook, and this is a, it pales in comparison to obviously seeing Jesus being taken to the cross, I wasn't looking at Jesus. So when you feel like you can't see God in a situation, it is very easy to start doubting him, to start doubting who he is, start doubting what he said over you. What he told you was going to happen, it actually happened, and it's very easy and it can cause all sorts of reactions. But this will take me to my second point. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. Okay? And this is something that I had to come to terms with because I was starting to think, oh my gosh, I'm a bad Christian because I have questions and doubts and all of that. Unbelief says, no, this won't happen. Doubt says, I'm not sure. Unbelief says, well, I've never seen it before, so it will never happen. Doubt says, I've seen it before, but will it happen again? Doubt, unbelief has its eyes shut, face covered, and doubt is peeking through the fingers. Unbelief has no faith. 
doubt has questions about their faith. So Peter, in that moment of fear, did not suddenly stop believing in Jesus. He, and everything that Jesus had told him, he was overcome by fear. This is evidenced by the fact that um, Peter tried to run to save his skin rather than joining in and condemning Jesus, calling him a blasphemer and a liar. He just tried to escape. His faith had already been established. And we know this because Jesus told him what he was going to do before he did it. And I actually found it um, an interesting comparison in Judas, who had no faith because he sold out Jesus. He, in John 6, 70, Jesus called him a devil. He had sp spoken truth over Peter and told Peter all the things. Peter had, had um, been privy to the secret things of God. But Judas, who was an opportunist in my eyes, he had said, is a devil. Because Judas didn't have any faith. He was following a trend. He saw an opportunity. He was in charge of money. So he was um, figuring out a way to um, make his own ends. Stealing money, selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed Jesus so brazenly by kissing him on the cheek. That is not somebody of faith to me. Peter is someone who had a moment of dipped faith. Whereas Judas is somebody, afterwards he didn't repent, he, he committed suicide. And that's the difference for me for doubt and unbelief. My third point is the most important one. When surrendered to God, doubt is an opportunity to grow. So I just want to refer back to Mark 14, 72. Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Another translation says that he wept bitterly. Peter instantly regretted his actions. Peter disappeared after that and went into hiding with the rest of the 12 disciples, except Judas and possibly John. And after Jesus' resurrection... Peter saw the empty tomb, saw Jesus appear in a room and then disappear, repented three times for his doubts, and then watched Jesus ascend into heaven in a cloud. Then he was on fire. Holy Spirit fire, of course. Peter had a formidable faith after this. But there's something about seeing the Messiah alive after you've seen him killed that just lights a fire under a man. Peter was healing people with his shadow as he walked past. Peter was arrested several times, beaten, tortured. His faith was unshakable after that. He still had questions after that. He still asked questions about who should partake in this new faith that he had found in the church of, in the church of Acts. But here is evidence that when we actually acknowledge that we have doubts when we acknowledge that we don't have it all figured out and take it to God and surrender it to him, he is faithful and merciful to forgive us and to lift us up, to give us his truth. I don't believe anybody who says that they have never doubted or have no doubts. I don't. Uh, when I was in my last stint of doubt, I came across a beautiful quote 
by a lady called Madeline Longell. And it says, the value of doubt is to keep you open to God's revelation. If you don't doubt, you don't change. If you have to have finite answers to infinite questions, you're not going to move. And this quote actually made me think of the scripture that says, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, they are higher than ours. We don't have all the answers. And we may not have all the answers in this life. And that's okay. It's okay to take them to God, to surrender to God, to say, God, I don't know. I don't have a clue. But you do. To give that to him and to allow him to renew us in that truth. I have um, an example. um, Which happened between me and George. And I find um, that marriage is beautiful in that it... um, resembles the Christ in the church. So when George and I started dating, I told him that I love Aero Mint. So whenever he was out, he would buy me an Aero Mint. He'd bring me home Aero Mint. And I'd say, oh, thank you. I'd take it from him, and I didn't know how to break it to him that I do like this chocolate, but I get very bored of the same thing over and over again. Um, so I had to tell him, like one day he brought it home, he's like, here babe, I've got this for you, I was thinking of you, I was just like, ooh, babe, I don't like it. <laughs> I did, but I don't like it anymore. Um, and he was just, you know, he had this, like, seriously, this is what you told me you like, this is why I buy it for you, because you told me you like it. And I was like, I know, but I don't like it anymore. Um, and he's just like, do I even, like, know you? Like, where are we going? <laughs> And do you know what? He could have taken that and internalized it, stopped talking to me, stopped buying me chocolate, and we would have just, you know, grown apart from the chocolate fiasco of 2009. You know, that's the way it could have gone. But we spoke about it. He brought it to me, and he said, you know what, babe, you told me you like Aramint. Like, what can I do for you? Call me. When you're out and you think of me, call me. Ask me what I fancy in that moment. So now I get a variety. I get cream slices, I get a bueno every now and then, fruit pack, not now because I'm on a diet, but <laughs> for a while, you know, but the communication, and this is the beauty of it, is that it, being married has taught me how much I can say to God, how much I can bring to him. God, I'm not sure about this. What is this scripture saying? Why is this even in the Bible? What is it supposed to teach me? I can take that to him because of how close he wants to be to me. That is, and the thing is, sometimes I read the Bible and I'm just like, I feel like this was purposefully put here for me not to be able to understand, but actually to come and seek you for. Because as I read it, no, it makes no sense. This doesn't make sense. This is in the Old Testament. You know, sometimes you read stuff in the Old Testament and it's just, what are you saying to me with this? And I don't understand it. So I have to go to God. I have to approach him. And when, I'm in that, when you're in that space of doubt, you have to. You have to go to God. Otherwise, you just pull back. You shut down. You stop talking to God. You stop growing spiritually. That's it. I have a doubt. I, you know, I don't want to talk to you about it. It stresses me out. I'm gone. No. When you have doubts, not if, when you have doubts, take them to the throne. Talk to God about it. Ask him what he is saying to you. Why is this in the Bible? Why am I in this season? Why am I experiencing all these things that seem to be crushing me? Why? Is this what you want for me? Is this the life you want me to have? I'm confused. This does not mean you are not a Christian. 
This does not mean that your journey has ended. It just means you're at a point when you need more answers. And you know what? At that point, God will stretch you, grow you, multiply you. Fruitfulness will come from you. You'll learn new things about yourself and God as you begin to seek him. As you ask, he will answer. As you knock, he will open. As you seek him, he will be found by you. Doubt is not the end. I am a living testimony of this. I have a million reasons to doubt. That's the truth. Sometimes life gets a bit funny. Okay, it doesn't make sense to me. And the, the truth is in the Bible, it says none of us will have an easy life. But sometimes I'm just like, this, you're taking a mic. This is too much. So I have doubts. I have not let doubt take me from God's presence yet. Because you know what? There's a, a section in the Bible, and it's not in Mark, so I didn't put it down. It's a bit cheeky. <laughs> but it's where the, Jesus is talking about the um, drinking of his blood and eating of his body. And he's got loads of followers behind him, and they go, this is a bit hard. I don't think we can do this. And they turn back. And Jesus turns to Peter and his disciples and just says, do you want to go too? Is this too hard for you? And they say, where can we go? Your words are truth. And that's how I feel. Where else can I go? Even when I have doubts, where else can I go? Where can I find this truth anywhere else that has set me free in such a way? The actualizing tendency cannot do this. That's the truth. I do love a lot of theory, but the actualizing tendency cannot set me free, okay? It cannot set you free. If you saw me 10 years ago, seriously, you'd walk past me on the street. That's true. In fact, no, you'd be pushing a leaflet in my hand, tell me, please come to church. You do need Jesus. That's how you would be. And this is only by the grace of God. My life that I am living now is only by the grace of God. And yes, 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 I have doubts. Every now and then I have doubts. There's some things that come up in the world that's going on um, politically, economically, emotionally. You know, I work, obviously, like I, I keep saying, because I love it, I work in psychology, so I, it always comes up. Why does this happen? Why is this happening? I work with uh, um, children in t tough situations, which at the end of every day when I'm finished working with them, I sit in my car and I ask God, Why? How do I help these children? How can I give them you? Because that's what they need. I have doubts. So as I stand here before you, I know that you know I'm not perfect. I do have doubts. I have wobbly moments. My husband can tell you. But I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. There's nothing too hard for God to answer. Ask questions. There's nothing too hard for God to forgive. Go to God. Stay in his presence. Don't let doubts kidnap you. Okay? And today that I pray that all the doubts that you have will lead you to the cross. That they will be buried in the ground and that it will grow into a plant that will bear much fruit in your lives. That your lives will be abundant and full in Jesus, and not in a textbook. Amen. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, 
that was amazing. That message was for me. And can we just give Carlise a round of applause? Yeah. That was really good. Hi, everybody. Hello. I'm Charlotte. Hello. Hello. I'm the other half of the Thompson twins. Um, now, I'm Charlotte Thompson. This is my husband, Dan. He's often on the keys there. And uh, many of you will know, or you may not know, that I'm also Jonathan and Helen's daughter. Um, so it's kind of funny for me to be up here because some of you will have actually seen me be born. Some of you will have been praying for me to even be conceived, which was a miracle in itself. And um, so the fact that I'm standing here now, I mean, it just kind of blows my mind a bit, really. Um, and I just want to give honour where honour's due, really. Um, it's amazing for me to be standing here, kind of, I'm a third generation Christian on both sides of my family, which is just amazing. And not many people have that. And um, not many of you get to see behind the scenes. Um, I see the blood, sweat and tears, sometimes literally, um, <laughs> that goes into making this happen. And, um, you know, for Pastor Jonathan and Helen, but also Clive and Gail and other members here, you know, there's people behind the scenes that you don't really see. Uh, Nale, for instance, you don't know. She's here on a Friday typing up all the notes. She's the one typing up everything. They just appear for you. Um, but she actually takes time out uh, to come and do that because she wants to serve and she wants to bring something. Um, so don't take anything that you see here for granted. Yes, sometimes the mics don't work. It's okay. <laughs> um, we, again, we have an amazing team here that work very hard. And I think we all deserve a round of applause. Thank you to everyone who serves. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so when I was thinking about what I was going to speak on, uh, you may not know, I talk a lot, um, which might be what happens here. I am my my father's daughter, so I don't know if 15 minutes will make it happen, but we'll see. Um, so when I was thinking about what to speak, um, there was so much that just came into my mind. Um, but it just kept coming back to a few weeks ago when I was in worship. And uh, I almost just had this picture. And I just saw myself here. And I did know at this point that I was going to be speaking, but um, Isaiah 61 just came to my mind. And that's actually quite a sort of personal passage for me. Um, when I was about 13, 14, when I got baptised, um, that was a scripture that was given to me. And I don't know, every time I read it, it's one of those where you kind of start sort of crying and something kind of pulls at your heart. And I just thought, okay, I've obviously got to read this. Um, and I didn't really know why. And I kept having lots of different thoughts. And eventually, something came clear to me. But I am going to start... Um, by reading uh, the scripture. It also meant a lot to me as well because this uh, part of the scripture, Jesus actually read um, when he came to his home synagogue. This is my home church, as it were. And he stood and he spoke out. And obviously he was the fulfillment of that scripture. And so I don't know what it is, but this is kind of a bit of a defining moment for me. I'm not sure what that means um, future-wise, but I don't know, it's kind of prophetic in a way for me. So I'm just going to read that now. Okay, so Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for the captives and the release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. 
favor, not flavor. And the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will, will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in robe of his righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with the jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Okay. <sighs> so, I've actually decided to speak on Isaiah 61, verse 4, which is, um, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have devastated for generations. And um, I've called it kind of ancient ruins, but... Those are my sort of three main points I want to talk about, rebuild, restore, and renew. And this is something which I hope will speak to everyone here. And it's not just for you guys, it's also for me. It, you know, we're all on a journey here, so I'm definitely not perfect. And some of these things I say to myself, and, you know, I'm working through <laughs> bit by bit. Um, so bear with me. Smile at me. Yeah? Okay, so rebuild. Rebuilding when something has been knocked down by events or circumstances. And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, things in life completely knock you down. And um, sometimes people just will walk away, completely walk away. Um, sometimes you make a decision to follow Jesus, but you just keep finding yourself at the beginning again. Or sometimes, a bit like what Carly, you just, you just say, no, I've had enough. Kind of have a bit of uh, unbelief there. But... Um, we all know that we need decent foundations. We need strong foundations. Um, it says in Luke 6, 48, He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. And we all know what happened to the guy who built his house upon the sand. Um, we need to make sure that we have real foundations. And one of those essentials is faith. Um, Carly's kind of touched on it slightly there. Um, but faith and trusting in God are the foundations, the building blocks of any of our faith. And if we don't have that, if we don't continually build our faith, then we're just going to get shaken around. We're not going to have those foundations. kind of reminds me of those sort of pop-up houses. I don't even really know how they last. Um, 
But how do you, how do you keep growing your faith? It's something that doesn't just, it, faith is a gift, but it's something you can't just put it on the side and kind of look at it. It's something that you actually need to continue building, something that you need to stretch and grow. A bit like a builder, it's you know putting brick upon brick upon brick. And I don't know if anyone's a builder here, but it really looks like hard work to me. Um, it doesn't look like easy. It's not called hard labor for nothing. And um, we need to increase our faith. And how do we do that? You know, we get around people who are faith-filled. You know, we listen to people's stories, people's testimonies. When you hear about what God has done in that person's life or that person's life, you overcome your doubt. You think, oh, okay, well, if God can do that for, for them, surely he can do that for me. If he can do something this small, then he can do something this big. Or equally, if he can do something this big, then he can do, do something this small. Keep getting around people like that. Keep reading the word. Something I struggle with, I'll be honest. But the more you build your faith, the more your foundations will stay strong. My next point, so that was building strong foundations, part of rebuild. Build a real relationship. And this is something that has kind of been something for me. You know, if you grow up in church life, it's just something that you do. You know, I've never not been in church from day one, probably. Um, you're here, you're going through the motions. You're here because your parents are here. Or maybe you're here because your partner's here. Or you're doing a favor for a friend. Or maybe you're just here because, well, that's what you do. You go to church. It's just a, a religious thing. That's not necessarily a real relationship. You have to actually build your own relationship. I can't just have my own relationship through my parents. And this was something that I really had to deal with when I was a teenager. I went through all of various things for another time to talk about. But I had to come to the decision for myself that this was something that I wanted to do. Was this something I believed? Did I want to build my life on it? Did I just think it's a load of rubbish? And I had to make that decision. Like, no, OK, I might come on a Sunday, and I might struggle to stand there and sing. I might come and not fully understand the preachers. But I have to trust that if I'm here, I'm in a good place, and I'm going to eventually meet with God. And especially when you're a teenager as well, you're like, oh, church, you know, it's just for the adults. You know, I'd rather be upstairs or whatever. But actually, it's for everyone. Um, so if you come and you actually engage, you come with that expectation, you're going to actually receive something. You might not understand it all, but that's okay. We at least just talked about that. You don't have to understand everything. Things will come into place. Um, and it reminded me of King Saul in the Bible. He was this man. Um, the, the people, Israelites, they were sick of not having a king, so they demanded that they wanted a king. And Samuel the prophet um, had this word from God, and he was like, right, Saul, you're going to be the man. You're going to be the king that everyone wants. And he had these amazing prophecies for Saul, and he was kind of a bit like, oh, okay, fine. Took these on, and he was. He was a good king. However, <laughs> he kind of had a bit of an undoing. Um, first of all, he didn't do what the Lord commanded him to do. And then he started relying on someone else. He started relying on Samuel to hear from God instead of for himself. So when Samuel actually died, he's thinking, well, what do I do? How do I know what to do? Uh, okay, right, I need to, I need to speak to Samuel. Well, how can I speak to Samuel? He's dead. 
I know, I'll go to a witch doctor and I'll call up the spirit of Samuel and he can tell me what God wants to do. Makes no sense. <laughs> he goes to the, you know, the occult to try and hear from God. And that's because Saul didn't really have a proper relationship with God for himself. He was kind of living through someone else. And I know a lot, of us, a lot of us do that, and that's what I was doing, and that's something that I had to kind of decide for myself, that if I want this to work, and if I really want to grow and change and hear from God and have those promises, then I need to find that out for myself. Um, yep. Number two, restore. So I've got many points, but, you know, there we go. If Jonathan's allowed many points, then I'm allowed many points. Um, so restore, um, and this one's called remove the rubbish. Sometimes our lives are just full of rubbish that we kind of become accustomed to it. Uh, has anyone seen the program, How Clean Is Your House? Please say someone has, and it's not just me. I may have a lot of TV references in this, which uh, just shows that I watch a lot of TV, but no judging, thank you. Um, so for those of you that haven't seen How Clean Is Your House, it's this crazy duo of Kim and Aggie, um, they're hilarious. And they basically go into these people's houses like you've never seen. They walk in, and sometimes you can't even walk through the door because there's literally piles and piles and piles of rubbish everywhere, or dirty dishes, or goodness knows. It's a bit like hoarders. And you sit there and you're thinking, how on earth have they let this happen? <laughs> like, how does anyone let this much rubbish get in their house? But the truth is, actually, it was probably just a little bit at one time, and then another little bit, and then oh, just that bit over there, and then that's all right, it's already a bit over there, so we'll just put that there. And before you know it, you're literally overwhelmed, and actually you come to a point where you don't even notice it, which is almost even worse, the fact that your house stinks and you don't realise um, that you're living amongst probably animals at that point, and <laughs> you don't even notice it. It's a bit like that theory, I don't know if you've heard of the broken window theory, but um, if there's a building and one window is smashed and it's just left, it kind of gives the opportunity for something else to happen. I don't know if this is fully true, but it kind of seems true. You, suddenly you see another window smashed, and if nothing's done about that, then you just, oh, just see a bit of rubbish there, or then you see a bit of graffiti. And before you know it, this building that was once nice is actually it just left in disrepair. And I feel like, oh, I don't know, maybe some of you are just here and you've got that rubbish <laughs> in your life. And sometimes, you may, maybe this is you, you've come to that point where you're just stuck and overwhelmed. Perhaps this is an addiction in your life or behaviour pattern or something like that. Um, here's a nice challenging verse for us. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, yep, just said that word, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, uh, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we all have stuff, okay? <laughs> I'm not just saying this is one person. Um, but we need to know that there is hope in this, um, that God is able to help us see those things, um, that are holding us back, that we can remove the rubbish and remove the bad habits that are in our life. Okay, next one. Um, demolish extensions. Have you ever seen um, like a nice, beautiful building and you just see something that's added on the side to it? 
Right. And this actually made me think of Dulwich College. I love this building. I don't know if you've ever been to Dulwich, but uh, it's a really nice area. And I love going past, driving past this or on the train. It's just amazing. And um, it actually, I think it was built in 1869 and won an award for its wonderful architecture. And I love it. Um, but recently, maybe Jonathan, you know more about this. Um, they had a big extension, the laboratory, and next slide. And you can kind of see just there uh, the extension and the old building, and there's a bit more of the extension there. And I'm not saying it's horrible, but it definitely, to me, takes away from the original beautiful architecture of the building. And um, this just made me think about so many times in our lives we add extensions on. Um, maybe we're just thinking, oh, I'll just... You know, I can do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add something amazing on there. Just put that on the side there. Um, it could be you chasing after your own abilities or building the things for our own agenda. Or, to be honest, it could just be hypocrisy. Um, kind of reminded me of this verse in Matthew 23, uh, 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, you are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And <laughs> so many times, you know, we just add these things onto our lives. But maybe they're not actually supposed to be there. And kind of in this restoration process, maybe we need to just tear down some of those things. Or perhaps it's maybe not hypocrisy. Perhaps it's a wrong relationship. Uh, someone you're dating or whatever, or someone that you associate with. Um, what are those extensions in our lives that we have built ourselves that are not supposed to be there? Um, they, you know, they distract from the real purpose and the real beauty of what God wants. Okay, restore, strip back the masks. Um, when I lived in New York, I lived there for three and a bit years. Again, this is a TV reference. Um, they actually have a dedicated channel called the HGTV channel, which is Home and Garden Channel. And basically all they showed <laughs> was renovation programs. And at one point, I kind of really got into this. Um, Property Brothers, I don't know if anyone knows these, I'm just going to say them. Fixer Upper, I know you know that one. Uh, Love It or List It, or Flip or Flop, which makes me think of you, Nana. Um, and basically, more often than not, uh, people found these kind of really broken down places or places that needed a lot of work because they were a lot cheaper. Uh, some were going off to auction and they would take these houses and they would completely change them. And sometimes part of the houses, you know, you'd look amazing. But they, every episode, there's always like the drama that happens in the episode. And that's usually they're finding something that they didn't know was there before. They, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. And sometimes they'll like look at, I don't know, something, and then they'll find that there's rotten joists, and they need to replace the joists. Or they find that behind the really nice walls, actually, the wiring behind them is completely screwed up, and they need to replace it. And that just made me think, mainly of me, um, but stripping back the masks, you know, how often do we seem like we're okay on the outside when actually on the inside it's a complete mess? <laughs> and I can definitely say that I'm probably the queen 
of uh, masks. You know, a lot of people see me as a very confident, outgoing person, which I am. However, I am definitely someone that has a lot going on underneath. And more recently, I went through quite a difficult time after I had my daughter, Isla. And it's one of those things where, you know, you have a baby and everyone's like, oh, it's amazing. Isn't being a mother amazing? Oh, it's just so beautiful. Look at your child. And I'm thinking, no, this is honestly one of the worst things ever. And I, I know you laugh at that, but genuinely, I was having one of the worst times of my life. And I actually eventually got diagnosed with um, postnatal depression. And I actually went on medication for that for a while. And that, especially as a Christian, is not really something that you want to admit. And you kind of put on this face of, everything's fine. Oh, how's it going? Great. It's fine. When actually, really underneath, all hell could be breaking loose. And it's just like what I said there with those buildings. <laughs> and actually, we need to come to a place where we can just completely rip those off because if we don't deal with what's going on underneath then you're in a bit of a bad way and we need to be receptive as a church to that you know people need to be able to be open and honest and you know when you ask everyone asks how someone is it's kind of like an English thing hi how are you but genuinely we don't really always mean it do we we just say that because it's something that you say but actually <laughs> what would you do if someone turned around to you and said actually I'm not okay how would you deal with that? And maybe, you, maybe you're the one that actually needs to say to someone, actually, I'm not okay. I need to sort some things out. I'm going through this terrible time. I'm, you know, I need some help here. And we need to be able to be open and not judgy. Um, so just think about that. I know that there are people out here that live like that, because I do. And that's something I've really got to work on. I've got to be open and honest, because otherwise I'm, nothing's going to change, nothing's going to happen. So you might be like that. Equally, in these property programs, they walk in and these uh, the decor, and it's like 70s wallpaper or like this crazy shaggy carpet, and they're like, uh, but as they pull up the carpet, there's this sudden like squeals of, there's real hardwood floor, which is really expensive and really amazing. Um, and they're like pulling this up and uh, they're like oh amazing or they find some other features like a hidden fireplace or something and they're like oh this is just amazing um, and maybe some of you are like that too maybe some of you have kind of accepted the labels that people have put on you I know this is especially hard being a teenager when you know this is the way you're supposed to act this is the thing you're supposed to be into this is how you're supposed to do things and you kind of and as adults as well, we kind of assume these labels that people put on us, when actually shaggy carpet might be fashionable for a bit, but maybe not so. And actually underneath, you're hiding all this amazing hardwood floor, which might need a bit of sanding, so a bit of hard work to get it nice and clean, but actually you've got this kind of hidden gem inside you. And I think... One of those things probably speaks to every, everyone, really, that there's things in our lives that we need to strip back or uncover. We need to deal with. What did it say? Here we go. Oh, yeah. But God says, this is 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that's something that I have to remember, uh, you know, the weaknesses, actually, sometimes the worst things 
but actually that is what makes God all the bigger, using your weaknesses. Okay, lastly of this point. Uh, restore, return stolen goods. Uh, sometimes there are properties or houses that have had um, items that have been removed, um, and they're integral to the design or the original purpose of the building. And again, it reminded me of TV. Um, actually reminded me of the film Woman in Gold, uh, which is based on a true story of a Jewish lady called Maria Altman. During the Second World War, Hitler actually stole a lot of the famous paintings and artifacts, and some of them he destroyed. Um, and this film is actually about Maria and the, the battle that she has with the uh, Austrian government of trying to regain actually what is rightfully hers. So this painting by Gustav Klimt, I don't have a picture of it, but you'll have to Google it later. Um, it's actually of her aunt, it's the woman in gold, and it's a really famous painting, and it's kind of quirky. Um, but it's amazing, and so this film is actually about the journey of her saying, no, I, I'm, right, I'm the rightful owner of this. This was my aunt. <laughs> this should be back with my, my household. And that got me thinking about, about us again. You know, what are those things in our lives that the devil has stolen, that is just ripped out? Um, I don't know what that is for you, but that could be something like peace, confidence, authority, um, you know, we are all God's children, says in Romans 8. Um, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So that means whatever is his is rightfully ours. And so some of you need to be a little bit more aggressive about this. <laughs> You're like, no, that's mine. Thank you very much. I, I will just have that back. Um, you have no right to steal that because... You know, I am, I'm a brother and sister in Christ. I, I am his child. And so what you have stolen, I will take back. And so I don't know if you've got things in your life that you think, yeah, that's actually me. And I, I know that's true of me. I've let things go and be taken. Confidence, joy. You know, I'm genuinely quite a happy person. But going through difficult times can really make me just be the most horrendous person to be around. Um, but actually, it shouldn't be like that. Uh, I need to go back and actually take what's right, rightfully mine. Do it. Are there things that you can think of that are gone? We need to be strong in that and go back to God. Okay, final one. Renew. Uh, to renew something means that we resume back to its original purpose and we give fresh strength and life and vision so, p pursue the purpose. Now, has anyone uh, heard of the cafe, The Attendant? No. This makes it all the more exciting. Picture, please. Uh, so, that is a cafe there. Um, can anyone actually believe what that used to be? Correct. Public toilet. There. Uh, those actually used to be urinals. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's now turned into a table. And I just find this absolutely hilarious. Um, quite genius, actually. Um, and it's one of those kind of trendy places that you go to. Um, <laughs> go to a toilet. Brilliant, have your coffee. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but <laughs> um, I love that. Um, but it just made me think, again, about uh, purpose. You can take the toilet down now. That's fine. Um, <laughs> But joking apart, um, we all know the verse, 
you know, for I know the plans I have for you, uh, they're plans for good and not disaster, to give you a hope in the future. And God has given us purpose in our lives, but sometimes we just get distracted or we wander away from what that real purpose is for our lives. Um, you know, we need to stop wasting time doing other things that we're not supposed to be doing um, or forcing ourselves into a shape that we think we should be or comparing ourselves to others. That's something that I've had to deal a lot with recently. But we need to get back to the roots, really, of what our purpose is and what God wants us to do. Um, or sometimes, perhaps, you're thinking, right, well, I know what God wants me to do. Well, where is it? Why am I waiting for so long? But we need to remember that God doesn't change his mind. It says in Philippians 1, verse 6, be confident of this, that he who began a good work um, will carry it on to completion. And also, so is my word, this is Isaiah 55, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I, for which I sent it. So you might be the person that's completely forgotten your purpose, or you might be the person that's kind of stuck in this time of, well, I've got something, but why isn't it here? Why is it, why is it not happening? And we need to really cling on to those two verses, that God's not just going to leave us in a place with nothing. You know, It might take 10 years, it might take five years, it might take longer than that. Um, but we have to trust him, and we have to believe that he's going to bring those purposes back to us in the right time. So often we think, now's the right time. God knows so much more. You know, he sees things way bigger than us. <laughs> so cling on to those things. But remember that you do have a purpose. You know, find out what that is. Could be anything. Okay, last one. Renew. Glorify the architect. And for all those things we've talked about, you know, rebuild, restore, renew, ultimately all those things come back down to having the building as they are originally supposed to be. And when something is how it's supposed to be, it's amazing. And it gives glory to the architect. You think, wow, the person that designed that. I always think of um, Gaudi, all those buildings in Barcelona. I don't know if you've ever been. I really want to go, was supposed to go, but it didn't happen. And all those amazing buildings is like, wavy ones and they're all brightly coloured and you just think wow how did anyone even come up with that idea it's completely off the wall but it works and it's got an amazing purpose and people get excited about it and not only does it bring glory to the architect but it you know it brings others up people enjoy it people enjoy his buildings people enjoy the park that he's created there and that's so true for us um, that we need to remember that this isn't always just about us, but actually the things that we go through are about the other people on the other side. So the struggles that I've been through actually might be for someone else's benefit. Um, you know, the things that I've had to deal with, the problems that I've had can actually be the solution for someone else's problem. So when you're going through, I know it's so difficult when you're going through those times and you think, well, why? Why is this even happening? I don't even understand what this is for. You just need to hold on. <laughs> and you need to wait until it passes. And God will bring those people. He brings those people into your lives. And you think, ah, OK, that's why. That's why that happened. Why did I have to go through that? OK, well, it's not all about me. It's about 
helping other people, and pointing people towards Jesus, because he is ultimately the amazing architect of our lives. And so I don't know if any of what I've said made sense. I don't know if any of it actually touched any of your lives, but I don't know if you need to look at your foundations. Perhaps you're really struggling with your faith and you need to really learn to grow that, or perhaps you haven't even got a real relationship for yourself. You're just here because your parents are. Perhaps you need to get rid of that rubbish that you thought, ah, just, but actually is now surrounding you and you're overwhelmed by it. Or maybe you're the one that's uh, created those amazing extensions in your own strength. They might be amazing, but they distract and they were not part of the original purpose. Or like me, perhaps you're just hiding behind masks. Maybe there's a whole lot of stuff that's going on inside. Or you're just covering up, trying to be someone, someone else. Maybe you need to go back and you need to get what was stolen from you. Bring it back. You're the rightful owner. Maybe you've forgotten what you were even here for. What is your purpose? What can I actually bring? Or maybe you've had a word or something and you're thinking, when's it going to happen? We need to hold on to what God said. And remember that, you know, things are made beautiful in their time. And when I just said that, ultimately, it's bringing glory to God. And I don't know, you know, just as the band are now here, I don't know if there's something that you need to deal with. Probably most of us. And if you want to respond to it, I'm sure that's fine. I'm sure there'll be someone to pray for you. But I just really want everyone to maybe just close their eyes and just think, I'm just going to pray. God, we need you. I know I need you. God, I just pray that anything that you've spoken to anyone today, from what Carly said and for anything that I've said, God, that you would just seal it in people's hearts, that you would begin to show us the areas and the things that we need to focus on, the things that we need to rebuild in our lives, the things that we need to work on and restore. Or perhaps we just need to be renewed. We need to be excited again about what you've got for us. God, just show us how to do those things, work in our lives. For ultimately, it's about other people. It's about what we can help, who we can help bring towards you and how we can glorify you, God. Just show us and speak to us. Amen.